0: The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't
1: drink, or eat anything.
0: What's are important question I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hello? Hmm. Highest moment in the last eight years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling was Hello? Uh, 11 itself.
1: Welcome, this is. Edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Durant, waging the all out struggle for truth every Friday evening here on the Revolution. Radio live airwaves. Please do support Revolution. Radio, and in doing so, you're supporting all out free speech. No holds barred. If it's legal, we can say it. And that seems to be the new rule, uh, yeah, well, over at InfoWars, where we had some taboo-violating talk the other day, yesterday, in fact. Uh, you know, I, I have my issues with Alex Jones, but it was fun watching uh, Yay and Nick Fuentes um, violate all of these taboos about what you're allowed to talk about. And, you know, when they won't let you talk about topics, it kind of suggests that they have something to hide. And that's what we're going to get into in this two-hour live broadcast, in the second hour, Matthew Crawford comes on to talk about his post-mortems about FTX and the film the Died, Died, suddenly. Died Suddenly. And yeah. then in the first yeah. hour, Reed, Reed Singsbury is with us, and he's going to talk about his new book, Exposing the Lies of History, Deprogramming 101. And I'll tell you something, if the mainstream doesn't like yay. They're really not going to like Reed Sainsbury's book because it is a kind of all-embracing compendium of the various interpretations of history that get labeled anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And some of this material I know for a fact is true. Some of it I suspect is true. Some of it I would have issues with. But if anybody tries to shut Reed down and not let him talk and not let anybody read the book and not let anybody research these issues, I would say those people probably have something to hide and maybe he's barking up a couple of right trees. So hey, let's get going and and find out about some of those trees. Hey, welcome, uh, Reed Sainsbury. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Thank you for having me tonight.
1: Well, I, I'm impressed with your book. You put a lot of work into that. You know, I, I published a book with tons and tons of illustrations. Uh, sort of like it in in a way. Uh, it, it was called uh, a guide to mysterious San Francisco by Doctor Weird, and it was a lot of work to put it all together and put all those illustrations in there and stuff. This is a really good looking book, and it's approachable and readable. And if it ever gets any traction, you know, probably the ADL is going to come harder after you than they ever came after me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I have to give thanks to Dave Gahari for all of his efforts and also Paul Angel because they they were part of the team to put the photos in and to polish it up and get it looking good. So, you know, uh, when you put together uh, a book, it, there is a lot of effort goes into it and you've got to have uh, experts in all fields to, to get it put together. So, I give thanks to Dave and Paul, for all their efforts, without them, it, you know, it wouldn't exist.
1: All right. Well, a shout-out to Dave and Paul, my colleagues at American Free Press. I try, In fact, I'm, I'm overdue right now getting them my article for the next issue. I'm glad you brought them up. Well, maybe you could start with the story of how you decided to do this book. It's kind of a tribute to your father, and that's unusual, I guess, in terms of history books. So uh, yeah, tell us about that.
0: Okay, so my father was a researcher. He fought in the Korean War, and uh, while fighting in the – he served in the Navy. While fighting in the Korean War, they were ordered to fire up on the shoreline of Korea. And uh, one one night, he said a light came on in a house, and they were given orders to fire. And, and as they were blowing up houses and churches and schools, he thought to himself, what are we doing? who's in charge of telling us to destroy civilization, and did I just kill a mother and a child? And, you know, it really bothered him. So after the war, when he went home, he really began researching who's in charge of giving the orders to start these wars and who to uh, shoot and who not to shoot. And uh, so that began his crusade in looking for um you know who who are these masters that call the shots and of course that led him down the path of studying the first world war and the and world war 2 and all the lies associated with it and the rothschild banking cartel and uh so growing up you know I listened to the other side of history the one my dad was always teaching and so I'd go to school and sit through, uh, English history classes and come home with the standard works, you know, the diary of Anne Frank. And my dad grabbed the book and said, Oh, this is a, this is a fraud. Dr. Robert Ferrison has proven this to be fraudulent. And, uh, let me have, let, ask your English or history teacher if they want me to come in and present the facts to the class. And of course the teachers always declined. But my dad was constantly teaching us, uh, the other side of the, the coin, uh, who the, uh, the money, the money lenders were always financing both sides of every war to, uh, you know, make their billions. And, uh, what did Rockefeller say? The, the way to make money is when blood is running in the streets. So, I grew up listening to all this, well my dad's 92 years old, he's in an assisted living facility about ready to, to pass on, and five years ago I interviewed my dad, and I asked him, what is it you want your grandchildren to know before you die? And he said, I want them to know the truth about World War II, I want them to know the truth about who these communist bankers are that control the media and uh finance both sides of every war. So that's when I realized I have to write his book for him, especially for my children to know what their grandfather believed. Well, as I started telling different people about the book I'm writing, everyone expressed an interest in reading the book. So I decided to make it a, a book for the public because this is what my dad was Passionate about this is what he believed in, and so I took all of his notes. I went through his huge library, thousands of books I've I've read through, and all of his notes. And my dad used to go down to Los Angeles every year to the Journal of Historical Review, the Revisionist Conference, and and he he loved to study history. He had many friends over in the Seattle area that uh, had. Uh, served in the German army. A lot of them were retired engineers and they told the other side of the story. So my dad had lots of, uh, friends that, uh, knew the truth about World War II and all the lies that the Jewish media masters like to, uh, spread. So that's how the book came to pass and that's why it's put together the way it is. It's in honor of my father who was a, a true historian, a researcher, a patriot, uh someone who loved truth and freedom.
1: Well, it's it's really brave of both your father and and yourself to take this path because well, we just saw the reaction to yay going on the Alex Jones show and not, you know, not saying that oh Hitler was a, was the good guy in this war or that, you know, the Jews were the bad guys or anything exactly like that. Basically all he was saying was that hey i'm a christian and i love everybody and everybody has something good about them and hitler yeah he, he definitely had some good stuff about him you know so that just that much was enough to drive the media completely berserk and even the president of the united states uh, came out with a tweet today uh, basically saying we all must believe that hitler is a demon or demonic so there, you know the literal sort of demonization of hitler in the popular imagination is so important that if just some entertainer even sort of half scratches the surface of you know debunking that kind of uh, of popular myth uh it's it sets off the f- four alarm bells everywhere and the, the whole establishment goes Berserk. So so you guys are kind of, you know, really up against a very deeply embedded public myth that the people who run our society really want to keep propped up. And, you know, so how do you how does how do we deal with it? You know, and I don't necessarily agree with all of your interpretations, by the way, in the book. And there's a couple of issues where I have a very different interpretation but at the same time, good. that
0: means you have a brain and you're willing to do some research.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've been researching some of this stuff too. And of course, you know what, what is going to, you know, what will piss off the, the mainstreamers is that I think you're actually right about a lot of stuff and you're less wrong than the mainstream about an awful lot of other stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, and probably just saying that is enough that, uh, they'll come, they, you know, they'll come after me too. But, but it's it's just isn't it bizarre that something like like Ye can even just express this kind of Christian perspective and basically challenge the complete absolute demonization of Hitler and World War Two Germany and, and just that very mild and loving challenge drives them nuts. Uh, so maybe well, you could expand on that.
0: Yes. Well, you see, the the Jews have to demonize Adolf Hitler because what people don't understand. It's the same thing that's happening in this country. The Jewish-controlled media brings in the pornography. They promote homosexuality, the transgenderism. They want to do this to destroy the morals, the, the basic family unit, because you cannot instate communism without persuading the younger generations to accept atheism and to get away from the strong family value structure. And so uh, they did that in Germany. They The Jews came in, they gained control of the banks, they had such high interest rates that the middle class was strangled, and then they brought in their pornography, their homosexuality, they were demoralizing the Christian um, morals of Germany. And so when, you know, a quarter of a million Germans committed suicide in the 1930s because they couldn't earn a living for their family, they couldn't put food on the table. So when Hitler came along and he ousted the Jewish bankers and got rid of the homosexuality, the demoralizing filth that was creeping into Berlin and started providing jobs for the common German worker, and uh, put morals back into the the country. Uh, within six years, he revived the the economy to a point that Germany was very prosperous and stable, and they were a shining example to the rest of the world. What could happen when the Jewish bankers are not in control of a country's banking industry? And so if the whole world saw what was happening what would that do? That would crush their global international banking dynasty. So they have to make an example out of Hitler because they can't afford any countries catching on to that to oust these Jewish uh, money gods who demoralize countries and rip the middle class people off with their banking schemes.
1: Well, you know, isn't it funny that if you talk about Jewish overrepresentation in banking, you're charged with using a so-called anti-Semitic trope, but they never want to debate you about the facts. You know, just how Hi. overrepresented are ethnically Jewish people in, in banking? To what extent is there enough, enough ethnic nepotism that we could say that there's sort of a cartel going on there? Nobody ever wants to talk about the facts about this. Instead, they just uh, throw ad hominem insults at you. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it's interesting. I had Ellen Brown on the show a couple of times, and once she really, you know, she's mentioned this a few times, but she got into the details a little bit of how Hitler's public banking saved Germans, Germany's economy, just like you described it. And of course, Ellen Brown is usually seen as sort of a left-leaning person. She's invited to these progressive leftist conferences to talk about public banking, but she's fully aware that, this was something profoundly positive that Hitler and his government did. And so so once again, you know, Ye is obviously right in about, okay, Hitler wasn't a hundred percent evil and demonic. He did something really good, instituted public banking, saved the German economy. And you quibble about the details, but the overall picture is undoubtedly true and in your book you go a lot further than that and see a a lot more positive aspects of hitler some of which i might agree with and others maybe not
0: yes well you know like any true researcher uh the more research you you do the more lies you come to realize we've been told and uh you know i challenge everyone to start off by reading his autobiography i'll never forget going to college courses, and, and even in high school, i always ask my teachers or professors, have you even read Mein Kampf? You're going to sit here and lecture the class on Adolf Hitler, but you haven't even read the man's autobiography? I find that a little strange. What, what is it you really know about Adolf Hitler? Most people don't know much except for what the Jewish-controlled media has indoctrinated them with. If you want to find out about Reed Sainsbury, you read Reed Sainsbury's autobiography, not what 10 journalists have, have to say about him, right? That may hate my guts. So. Yeah. yeah I, I know that
1: situation close up and personal. You know, once I started getting into the 9-11 truth movement and became notorious in 2006, suddenly all of the information about me was filtered through people who were dedicated to trying to smear the 9-11 truth movement.
0: Yeah, there you go. So you you experienced that firsthand, didn't you? Oh
1: boy, yeah. Did I ever? <laughs>
0: Unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, mentioning Mein Kampf, this gets to one uh, area where I kind of disagree with your overall picture of things, which is the uh, in Mein Kampf there. It's true that it's a lot less, you know, virulently anti-Jewish than you would. Think from reading our mainstream media and history books. You know, you'd think that he, Hitler was dedicated to exterminating Jewish people from the beginning, and that just totally was not true. And there's right. really it's it's not uh, that all that harshly anti-Jewish. However, what there is in Mein Kampf, which undermines Germany's position in terms of fighting a just war in World War II, is a clear uh, desire to steal land and resources from the Slavic peoples to the east. And so if anybody has a complaint about Hitler and his movement and his book, it should be the Russians first, not the Jews. Uh, Would you agree with that? I know you you left that part out in the book. Basically, you gave a pretty positive portrayal of Germany's position in the war, which I think is a good corrective to the usual demonization. However, uh, you kind of didn't mention that the probably the biggest issue in this war was that the the Soviet Union and Germany were heading for a clash. And the main reason for that was that Hitler's movement was dedicated to stealing land and resources from Russia. I'm not trying to defend the Soviet Union. That was a horrible government too. But let's face the facts that Germany was the aggressor in that particular area.
0: Correct. Well, you know, you have to go back to the Treaty of Versailles where much of the territory was robbed from Germany. So Hitler was trying to get back Parts of Germany that was taken from them, uh, taken from Germany, uh, you know, that was totally unfair, and so you know that that's a big part of the puzzle. And um, but going a step further, you know, Hitler saw what the Bolsheviks did to the Tsar when when the communists, when Leon Trotsky from New York, the Jew Trotsky took 267 other Yiddish-speaking Jews from Manhattan, and they went into Russia and murdered the Christian czar, and then in 1932-33, starved to death 9 million Ukrainian, mostly German migrant farmers. Uh, this was a terrible, murderous, raping machine that had no respect for life. They were ruthless, and he knew they were going to march across Europe and if uh, Hitler and Franco and uh, Mussolini didn't stand up, all of Europe would have succumbed to the Bolsheviks, these communists. So, uh, you know, that th- there was uh, a lot at stake there, and Hitler and and some of the other European leaders stood up and uh, defended their countries against these communist Bolsheviks.
1: Well, I would agree that that's part of the picture. Absolutely in fact the whole nazi movement uh, in a way started up as a sort of a counter reaction to bolshevism and it was also right. you know kind of like if it's it's sort sort of like the way that the neocons see the nazis if you can't beat them join them that is use their methods right that's that's kind of what leo Strauss has uh, told the neocons but the, the likewise the uh, the nazi movement Said well, you know, the only way we can beat these Bolsheviks is to use some of their methods by, you know, rousing the populace and using these propaganda mm-hmm. techniques and so on. Um, but there, w- would you disagree that there was a sort of a a, a a racial superiority complex in the Nazi ideology, which, to my mind, actually reflects one of the downsides of uh, of Jewish uh, ideology, that is, the Jewish chosen people, that notion of of Jews being Uh, above the Goyim or the other nations, Uh, that same kind of almost racialized superiority complex, it seems to me, was adopted by Hitler and the Nazis, and they turned it uh, against a lot of people. But the Slavs, I think, were the biggest victims, because if you read Mein Kampf, it's clear that there was this plan to invade, occupy, and take over these vast resources uh, to the east uh, in service to Lebensraum, and this was justified, not just because the Russian government was evil and Bolshevik, which of course it was, and not just because it posed a threat to the West, which to some extent it did. Although Stalin was, he was uh, his his position was communism in one country. It wasn't Trotsky in charge anyway. Trotsky, yeah, Trotsky wanted to overthrow every government everywhere. Stalin didn't. Stalin actually probably would have been happy to sit home in Moscow. But uh, so so there, to my mind, there was a racial. Uh, aggression going on here, where, where this racist ideology of the Nazis was used Mm. as an excuse to try to take the resources of these supposedly inferior beings, the Slavs. And that's just one of the many aspects of Hitler and the Nazis that I find uh, distasteful. And, and none of that stuff ever came out in your book, which presents a totally positive view of Hitler and the Nazis. But that's the side of the story that never, ever, ever gets told. And so I'm glad you're telling it anyway, even though I don't agree with it.
0: Okay, well, yeah, you know, and the book could have been over a 1,000 pages. But I didn't want that. I wanted to short, condense the other side of history because, you know, the rabbit holes can go deep in, in all those directions. But, uh, you know, let's just look at some of the facts. Where was the computer invented? Germany. Where was the printing press Invented, Germany, the automobile, Mercedes, BMW, the diesel engine, Rudolf Diesel, the jet engine, the helicopter, TV, tape recorders, MP3 format, record player, refrigerator, homeopathy, the electron microscope, x-rays, contact lenses. These things all came out of Germany. Is it, is it fair to say that the Germans are a bunch of dummies? Obviously not. There's more Nobel Prize winners coming out of Germany than anywhere in the world. They are intelligent people. So it, so it, how, it wasn't in,
1: just the microphone and the freeway, like Ye said last yesterday.
0: <laughs> Alex, correct. Just. So, so when you look at all the great inventions we use, I don't care if you're in Japan or Mexico, all over the world, the Germans have brought us so much. They have been world leaders in technology and advancement of civilization so is it is it wrong to say that the germans are not intelligent people
1: well i think everybody admits I mean, you, that you, you, the germans are you, intelligent cultured people i hope
0: you can you can judge it for yourself but i don't see a bunch of zionist jews inventing all these things that we use today i mean so w- when you look at when you look at civilization and, and the great things that humanity uses, a large percent of it has come out of German brains. So you can judge Adolf Hitler all you want, but I certainly don't see the Mercedes plant being, uh, built down in Zimbabwe. Uh, you know, they come out of most, most of your great inventions. Come out of European countries uh, because the Europeans are producers. They're your scholars. You're, they're your intellects. They they they're dedicated to improving humanity with their inventions. And and so you know, there's a lot of people that want to tear Adolf Hitler down. But um, when you look at civilization and you study what allows countries to thrive and which allows them to to stay in a third world situation, uh, race does play a factor, and that's the bottom line. You can you can judge it all you want, but that's the bottom line.
1: Interesting. Well, I wish we had a call-in line, and, and Yay could call in and add his two cents worth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah.
0: You know, and here's a guy that needs to be admired for him standing up to represent all of humanity. Because, you know, you know, here, my dad always taught that Adolf Hitler believed that blacks were superior to whites in athletics. Okay. And, and can you argue against that? Look at the fastest man in the world. Usain Bolt is a black from Jamaica. It is a fact that blacks have more fast twitch muscle fibers than whites. They're better athletes. The, they're better basketball players. A lot of NFL teams are, are all black or the majority of them. They're great athletes. They're fast. They jump high. They're strong. Uh, it is interesting in world strongman competitions that the, the mighty white Nordic men seem to uh, reign supreme, but um, when it comes to great inventions across the world and great architects and engineers, you're usually going to see uh, a lot of white Europeans at the top. Now, the Japanese have mastered the arts of a great automobile, the Honda, the Toyota, and also uh, electronics. And those are just the facts. So yeah. we, we can judge people like Hitler all we want, but all you have to do is look around the world at what we live, what we enjoy, what we use and who invented it. And why is that? Why didn't, it, why didn't, it, why do not why wasn't the refrigerator invented in Guatemala?
1: Yes. Yeah, it's, it's hot down there. You think they'd need it more. Well, You know, Reggie White, the great defensive end from the Green Bay Packers, got in really big trouble just for talking about these kinds of racial differences and, and that, you know, that black people, uh, do better in certain kinds of athletics and certain positions and things like that uh it was a huge scandal so that's another taboo that i guess we're we're shredding here but
0: yes but, well, well well of course the jew doesn't want you to talk about race they want you to believe there is no such thing as race as they have their racist laws in israel that gentiles can't own media and you can't own property but there's no such thing as race you see the double standard
1: well they're masters of yeah, the double here's,
0: standards to,
1: to some extent yeah but also I would argue i, th- I th- another thing about your book that I have a slight difference of viewpoint on is i, I think you kind of lump uh Jews together uh too much like seeing seeing sort of one conspiracy that's both communist and capitalist yeah i think there's there's a certain amount of truth to that, but most people uh would either be one or the other, and that and so every now and then you know some they might join forces. Like you might have Trotsky go to New York and and get some help from uh, was it Bromman you know the banking family there. However, overall, it seems to me that uh, both uh, you know communism or Marxism and Zionism are two completely different uh, messianic millenarian Jewish heresies. They grow out of the Jewish. Messianic complex where Jews are waiting for their Messiah to come back and give them the promised land and make the whole world perfect and, you know, conquer the world for them and put them on top of the world or what have you. And and so that, that kind of Messianic thought in, in Jewish thought spun off in these different directions. And one of them was communism and that that's very secular the the communists are are not jew religious jews at all by any means it's a totally different view and then the zionists are also by and large basically secular the zionists were totally non-religious they broke off away from the jewish religion and then they embraced a kind of fanatical nationalism so the communists yeah that was it grew out of jewish messianic thought so it's in that sense jewish but not all the communist thinkers were jewish by any means the Zionists mostly are, of course, because they're, that's, it's a religious nationalism or rather an ethnic nationalism. So, uh, it, it, what I see in your book is you're kind of throwing everything together into one grand conspiracy, imagining that the communists and the money master banksters are exactly always the same people. And I don't think so. I think they're actually fighting each other. They're very, they're two competing ideologies. And I think all of the banksters are actually fighting each other to see who can come out on top. Uh, and all of the communists are fighting each other to see who can be the bull goose communist. And it's one big free for all where everybody's maximizing their own interests. And yeah, there's sort of a Jewish team in that everybody who's ethnically Jewish is going to feel more comfortable, uh, working together with and, and conspiring with other Jewish people. To, to perhaps a slightly greater extent than people of other ethnicities, but it's not like there's this one universal massive Jewish conspiracy that includes everything, Freemasonry, communism, Zionism, etc., uh, etc., etc. cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, So I, 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 that doesn't mean that the information in your book is wrong. A lot of it is right, but it just seems to me you sort of put it all together into one grand unified theory that may be too unified.
0: Well, I would agree. I would agree with you on a lot of those points. But I would also say that most of your uh, communists started out as capitalists. I mean, Rockefeller uh, and, uh, you know, the the Rothschilds, they were all capitalists at one time. Once they gained control of the the majority of the banks, the Federal Reserve or the railroads or the steel industry, then they shift to communism because they don't want anyone else infringing upon their empire. So, so, you know, they start out as capitalists. Once they gain the majority of the industry, then they switch over to being staunch communists. So they eliminate the competition.
1: Hmm. Well, by communists, uh, I, I see, I, I wouldn't really agree that the Rockefellers are, or even Soros are communists. You know, com, the communist philosophy involves, you know, dialectical, secular materialism and their, Basically, what they're trying, what communists try to do, is to stir up the working people, the working classes, to seize power and establish a government, uh, a very hardcore government of the workers, which will then ostensibly wither away and create paradise. I mean, that's their ideology. And honestly, I don't, ha- I don't think that uh, any of those big capitalists ever, even. Entertained that ideology. I mean, maybe a few of them when they're young and rebelling against their families for a few years in their twenties at the university did, and some of those people then hooked up with with the KGB and and they got kind of stuck there. But for the most part, I mean, the capitalists are just—they're not communists. How could they be?
0: Well, I, I guess we kind of disagree on that. I, you know, the way I see it is the communi- if, if if you're a billionaire communist, you have all the power. And there's a, there's a, there's a few at the top with all the power and the money and the rest are peasant slaves. There's not much middle ground, uh, with communism. You're either, you're either a peasant slave or you're one of the billionaires in the club.
1: No, I, see, I, I, I totally disagree. I, I mean, I, I, I well, I agree, I think with, are, I mean, I don't think you're wrong about how reality works, but I think that the name that you're mislabeling reality, like, yeah, I agree with you that the capitalists, the big banksters and the capitalists, they try to destroy competition, and they're very happy to create a more and more authoritarian surveillance state, an Orwellian kind of state, uh which is a lot like Communist states, so yeah, that's true. But they're not communists. I mean, they're they're uh, you know they, they, don't, they don't they don't want all of the means of production to suddenly be taken over by the state. Uh, and if you look at how communist societies have been ruled uh, in the Soviet Union, the only people that amassed substantial fortunes were not the leaders of the communist party. They were not the leaders of the Soviet government. They were criminals. The organized crime faction, uh, which they, they often got caught and, and went to prison. And then when communism ended, the, these were the only people who had any money in Russia. Uh, they were the criminals and, and a lot of them had, had been in, ex- done extensive time in Russian prisons. And that mob, uh, which was disproportionately, massively disproportionately ethnically Jewish <laughs> took over and, lo- and looted Russia and became the Russian mob, which is some say the nastiest organized crime outfit on earth with Semyon McGillovich. Oops, I just said the name you're not supposed to say. He was named. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, but anyway, so, so that you can't really blame the communist or communism for that. And, and then we jump over to so-called communist China right now ruled by the CCP. The CCP is not, I mean, some of them might be getting rich, a few of them getting somewhat rich, but actually the CCP's role is mostly to keep a lid on the power of the billionaire entrepreneurs. And that's probably good. And the CCP's other role that's good is to enforce public currency. They create their currency not by having private banksters lend it into existence at interest to their crony friends for uh, playing Ponzi schemes and and casino stuff, but instead the CCP makes sure that the Chinese government lends currency into in, into existence. For infrastructure projects, uh, putting Chinese people worried. In other words, the CCP in China right now is doing exactly what Adolf Hitler did that saved Germany's economy. And that's why the, C- the China is eating our lunch economically has been growing in double digits now for 30 years, and is about to eat our lunch geopolitically. So and that all comes out of a sort of a really massively watered down communist philosophy. Uh, so I, I think the world's just, uh, just you know, it, it's kind of overly, but what you don't like about Soros and people like that, it's not that they're, I, I don't think it's that they're communists. It's, it's that they are nasty, power hungry, psychopathic oligarchs.
0: Well, that's an interesting point. So let me ask you just a question then, since you bring that up. So why did, The Jew, Jacob Schiff, financed Leon Trotsky with $20 million and sent him into Russia then.
1: Because he, well, my my best understanding of that is that I think he, like many other uh, Russian Jews, had a visceral hatred of the Russian institutions of the Tsar and the Orthodox Church, and he really wanted to overthrow and destroy it. You know, it, it was that same spirit of the demonic that Dostoevsky described in his book, The Demons. They were the possessed. And that, you know, hatred for tradition and religion and the monarchy that grew out of the kind of conflicts that Jews had had with the other segments of Russian society, I think, led him to do that as a way of attacking the the Russian establishment basically and I don't think it was because he was a dedicated communist himself I think he was just going after the the uh, going after Russia
0: okay well that that's interesting perspective
1: yeah I mean of course people people should read your book and make up their own minds <laughs> Correct. Yes. the book is yeah. well, exposing and- the lies of history deeper more 101. there's a link to it that you can find by going to truthjihad.com. And that will take you to the Heresy Central site where you can click on the radio link. You're at the radio page and they'll find all the links for this and other shows. Uh, well, so, so read, uh, it, you cover a lot of ground in this book and your 9-11 chapter is, is quite good. And so congratulations on that. Thank uh, you. It's, and I
0: understand that's kind of your, uh, expertise.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's how I got thrown out of the. Yeah, so for you to
0: compliment me on my (laughs) 9-11 chapter, I guess, is a great compliment. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Well, I guess I'm a recognized ex- Academia recognized me as an expert on 9-11 by throwing me out of academia for my work on that topic. <laughs> well, that means you're teaching the truth, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't teaching the truth, you'd still be there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I guess it's a high accolade to be, uh, defrocked in that sense, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. As, as for the COVID, let's, let's, uh, so, so we basically agree, and I'm sure most of my listeners probably agree, uh, on on the basic outlines of 9/11, uh, but with COVID, it's still you know there's there's a lot of discussion about what the heck is really going on. You know it's uh, it's obvious that COVID was made in a lab uh, by yeah. biological warfare related entities, and then there's a discussion about whether it just has happened to escape or the most likely theory, in my opinion, is the Ron Unz theory that it. Pompeo, Bolton, and the neocons, or Pompeo and the neocons, rather, uh, perhaps just a few of them, were behind a deliberate uh, U.S. attack on Wuhan that blew back and became a global pandemic. But then there's all sorts of indications that this type of pandemic had been foreseen, expected, and there might even be reasons to think it would have been welcomed. So uh, in your chapter on this, Uh, You're one of the people that I kind of disagree with. Uh, There are a lot of people out there like this, uh, including uh, the uh, Alfred and Monica Schaefer, who I had on last week. Uh, And they believe that COVID fits into this kind of Jewish conspiracy paradigm. And they, they somehow believe that, for instance... Uh, Israel is saving it, uh, itself, or the Jews of Israel are saving themselves from the vaccines. They're vaccinating everybody else with horrible mRNA vaccines. They're going to kill off or sterilize all of the non-Jews or something like that, which I told them I think is completely ridiculous because Israel is a leader in the uptake of mRNA vaccines and they're apparently having a bunch of problems from it. So this is one that I do not see as a Jewish conspiracy. And I've had a lot of people argue with me about this, the Schaeffers and uh, Lynn Din. <laughs> He's uh, ferociously, you know, he really believes it's a Jewish conspiracy. So anyway, give us your take on, on COVID and what type of conspiracy it is.
0: Well, it's interesting that you just said what you said, because I just spoke at a conference in Atlanta, a health conference two weeks ago. And I'm not going to say the individual's name uh, Because he probably wouldn't appreciate it But he's a doctor Who is in charge of the relations Between the Jews And the Palestinians And and so uh, I, As I was talking with him uh, I was informed That the Jews in Israel Are receiving a different COVID shot Than the rest of the world Okay Now Can I verify that? No, but um, uh, coming from this individual, I don't see any reason why he would lie to me about it.
1: Um, On the COVID, does he he have direct knowledge of this?
0: Well, um, I I mean, I I don't know. How, How do you verify anything? I mean. He
1: uh, well, I mean, if, he, if he's a doctor who's worked in Israel and a, a friend of his who's a chemist has chemically tested mRNA vaccines in Israel and tested them somewhere else, then and, and it sounds like he's probably telling the truth, then I, I would be more influenced by that than if he's just some doctor who like heard this third hand through the grapevine.
0: I didn't, I didn't go into detail about how he knew the information. Um, his credentials are very impressive and um, we had a brief conversation in between lectures so i didn't have much time but uh anyways it was interesting to me that that was that statement was made um, i don't know everything about covid i don't uh um, <laughs> i don't claim to i have read dr richard fleming's book is covid 19 a bioweapon uh, and if you look up Dr. Richard Fleming's credentials, he's a nuclear cardiologist. Uh, he has a um, a law degree. I mean, the the, the the guy has a lot of published research, and uh, you know he states or he shows proof that uh, under Dr. Fauci, sixty one million dollars of our tax dollars financed Dr. Ralph Barrick and Dr. Zing Li at North Carolina State University to manufacture uh, this COVID and, um, and basically, to say it in layman's term, made it so that it could uh, enter human cells and cause harm. Now, you can interpret that however you want, but that's published research and I state it in my book. Um, and um, and so why would they want to do that? And I know that's your argument, you know. Uh well Henry Kissinger and Bill Gates have both said we need to depopulate the planet. Um, what what is the what is the end result here? They're in my opinion they they want americans to be filled with fear they want to destroy our economy so that uh fear based americans uh once again this is where i think we're heading towards communism if you can if you can get the middle class like they were in germany in the 1930s on their knees so it takes a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread and the average citizen can't earn a living, then, you know, they're going to be begging for a change. And what's that change? The New World Order, which is a Luciferian communist regime to rip up our constitutional rights and to, uh, rip up Christianity, uh, basic morals and values of the family unit. And then they can, uh, Have a one-world communist uh, agenda, and so that's that's what I think the COVID is. I think that's part. I think that was planned out in the Bilderberger meeting, and I think that's part of the Rothschilds' plan to gain more control and domination of the world.
1: Well, that's a an interesting perspective. The depopulation part of it is frightening and frighteningly plausible.
0: Well, when you study the Talmud and you understand that these Jews view non-Jews, Gentiles, as cattle, the Goyi or Goyim, um, you know they finance both sides of every war. They enjoy seeing Christians slaughter Christians in the battlefield because that's taught from the Talmud. So, to to they've been doing it for hundreds of years. The Civil War was a great example of that, World War I and World War II. And there's several quotes by Jewish supremacists in my book that make such statements. So, you know, why would these high-ranking Jews make such statements if that was not part of their goal?
1: Well, I, I know there was one study that seemed to show that there was a particular genetic characteristic that only two groups on earth had that seemed to give them a fair bit of protection against the worst effects of covid and those two groups were the amish and ashkenazi jews and of course i immediately wrote a, a satirical piece blaming the amish for covid uh but <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> but, but I, I, following up on that i haven't i haven't seen uh, too much follow up so i and I, I have no idea really whether that whole line of inquiry has panned out or not Uh, But the the whole idea of depopulation, you know, that that doesn't necessarily have to be a Jewish conspiracy. One can imagine that these people who think that there's an ecological crisis coming might entertain these fantasies of depopulation. I wonder if Dan Brown's book Inferno could be a sort of predictive programming for the whole COVID event in that book. There's an evil scientist who, at least that's we think it's an evil scientist, uh, as we go through the plot, who looks like he's going to try to kill off most of the population with a horrible virus uh, because he believes that overpopulation is killing the Earth's biosphere. And so he's, he'll be doing a good deed by killing most of humanity. And then at the end of the book... Spoiler alert, uh, go, turn off the volume if you, if you want to read the book. It it turns out that this virus, which does get loose, actually doesn't kill anybody, but it targets people's fertility and it actually takes out, you know, destroys the fertility of, I don't know, nine out of 10 people or something like that and thereby drastically reduces the population. And there's been some speculation that COVID, which seems to have an affinity for reproductive systems, might be sort of like this inferno virus that dan brown dreamed up and of course dan brown hangs out with freemasons and gets a lot of his ideas from them so one never knows
0: interesting let me read one quote here by david rockefeller from 1994 we are on the verge of a global transformation all we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order why would david rockefeller say that (laughs) <laughs> my, that's my question for you. Why would this? Why would David Rockefeller make such a statement?
1: Well, even if he were planning to do it, you wouldn't think he would be dumb enough to blurt it out like that. Sort of, sort of like right. with the the, uh, the protocols of the Elders of Zion. Like, if there were really a bunch of Elders of Zion cackling and plotting this demonic plot to take over the world, you know, would they publish it and let it get out like that? So, what's with these people? I know there's one theory that they have some kind of esoteric metaphysical notion of the karma of these terrible things they do will not affect them as long as they tell their victims that they're doing it. So if they announce <laughs> they're going to do it and they do it to you, it's your fault that you let them do it. <laughs> well, that's,
0: a, that's an interesting concept, but uh, I personally believe they like to throw it in our face and, and brag and boast about it because 98% of the cattle are asleep. They're too busy watching dancing with the stars and NFL football to care about what they say or, or what's happening when you look at the events around the world, especially if you start digging into history. You know, if you look at the Bolsheviks and what they did to Russia and the nine million they starved in the Holodomor, uh, you know, most people are asleep. They don't care about history. They, they, all they care about is getting their, uh, Taco Bell dinner and sitting down and being entertained in front of the Jew tube.
1: Yeah, it kind of seems that way sometimes. Well, yes. you know, I I recently had one of my you know favorite sort of World War One conspiracy theories quasi debunked, uh, which is you know, I've talked to a lot of people who think that World War One was orchestrated partly to destroy the Ottoman Empire and let the British get hold of Palestine, which they could then hand over to the Jews, and that theory holds that the reason that the British Rejected the German peace overture of 1917 was to precisely to go all out, you know, win the war, destroy the Ottomans, take over Palestine, hand it to the Jews. And Ron Unz just did a piece uh, which references a, a new work by Philip Zellico, the <laughs> sole scriptwriter for the 9/11 Commission Report, and possibly for 9/11 itself, in my humble opinion. And Zelico, apparently, he's a historian at University of Virginia, just wrote a book about this. And uh, Ron Unz's position now, apparently, uh, is that this is not true at all. That actually, the Rothschilds were in favor of the peace effort in 1917. And that the whole thing was a lot more chaotic and less, you know, conspiratorially orchestrated than some people think. So anyway, that's just a just to throw throw out there. And by the way, have you looked at the the UNS Review archive of material on World War Two? It's really fascinating. It's a great source of all kinds of revisionist uh material, a lot of it really high quality.
0: No, I haven't.
1: Well, let me plug it then. Along with your book, Exposing the Lies of History, people who are curious about these matters might want to go to unz.com and find their way to the uh, World War II archive. Um, it has a lot of interesting stuff, including uh, Ron's probably, you know, maybe all time most uh, troublesome from the ADL's point of view essay, which is called uh, Holocaust Denial. And in that essay, uh, Ron, uh, does a pretty good job of sort of you know, getting into the topic, and ultimately explaining why uh, he's not uh, convinced by the official story of the Holocaust.
0: Well, that yeah, I mean any well, any in my opinion, any serious researcher, uh, you know, just like your nine eleven. Uh, you know, and I don't know your whole story, but uh, I know that you've done a lot of research in that. When you start looking at the facts, get rid of all the hearsay, all the hype from the media, and just start looking at the facts. You come to realize that the towers didn't collapse because two planes ran into them, especially building number seven that collapsed on its own. You, you come to realize that there, it was an internal demolition, and, and someone was in charge of that. So when you look at the Holocaust, and you start looking at the facts, the facts of Zyklon B, the facts of what Germans' deportation policy was, not extermination policy. There was no such a document. It was deportation. And uh, and what the camps were doing, you know, the Jews were making uh, materials for the war effort in those camps. Um, at the heaped up bodies that you see at the end of the war was from Allied bombings. We Americans, along with the British, bombed the highway systems, the railroad tracks. We destroyed Germany so medical supplies and food couldn't come into the camps, and the typhus outbreaks ran rampant, and people starved to death, even German guards. So when you see all those heaped-up bodies, we Americans did that, along with the British. We caused that. So, you know, those are facts that the Jew media is never going to talk about, uh but uh it's it's well documented and um and and after thousands of hours of research uh it becomes so overwhelming the amount of evidence that only a fool would argue against it
1: well it, you're calling the president of the United States a fool because earlier today he tweeted quote I just want to make a few things clear the holocaust happened hitler was a demonic figure and instead well, of giving it a platform, our political leaders should be calling it out and rejecting anti-Semitism wherever it hides. Silence is complicity. Well, we're not silent, are we, Reid?
0: Well, if you think Biden is a genius, <laughs> then, also, then I've, then I've I got some oceanfront property to you, sell. You don't think you he's done
1: an extensive study of World War II and read dozens of books on the subject?
0: What else? What else? What other comic books has he studied? (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, I I was just uh, I just listened to uh, a talk show this morning on my way into work where they where they played Biden say saying, take the covid shot and you won't get covid. I don't know one person that had the covid shot and didn't get covid.
1: I I know. I know, 2 Oh, okay. <laughs> but well, you got me beat then
0: because I've asked over a hundred people and, and I, and I, and I haven't found one. So, so anyways, uh, you know, if, if you want to, uh, hang on to Biden's words as the gospel truth, <laughs> have at it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, these people who've never read anything serious about a topic, and yet they absolutely know that anybody who has an opinion different from theirs must be wrong and is a horrible person and should be insulted and vilified and driven out of the public square in silence. Those people are really pretty darn dumb. You know, at least go out and, and read, read a bunch of books before you just buy into what they're telling you to believe. Well, thank you so much, Reed Sainsbury. I appreciate your, uh, extremely heretical book, Exposing the Lies of History, Deprogramming 101. Uh, congratulations and God bless. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it, Kevin. Likewise. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye. Back to you all. with Matthew Crawford for the second hour.